Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nesh Nikolic, and today's topic is the impact of erectile dysfunction on men's mental health. We explore causes, treatment options, and the importance of breaking down stigma to help men learn more about ED rather than being afraid of it. Ladies and gents, please welcome my guest, Dr. Christopher Love. Chris, a big thank you for coming onto the show. I know that you you just raced out of our surgery to, to, to come here and talk to us. So I really appreciate the, uh, uh, the emphasis that you've put on really our topic of, uh, you know, the mental health aspects of uh, you know, the impact of erectile dysfunction. Um, and, and so it's a really important topic and I appreciate you coming onto the show. No, that's, that's a pleasure. So I'm more, more than happy to do so. Thanks, Nish. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is important, obviously. And, you know, let's um, try and educate people a little bit about it. That, that's a great yeah. opportunity. Absolutely. Now, Chris, I, I have to uh, get the get the um, elephant, uh, call the elephant out, out in the room, which is uh, obviously your surname and you, you, you get this all the time, you know, being Absolutely. love. Is it yes, yeah. like the, the most genius marketing stunt in, in the world? Or, or? I know. And you know what? It's actually my name. I mean, if, if only uh, marketing people have said to me, you know, you per no, it's my real form with it, had it for it. I'm not fishing because of your name or quite, you know, they, they see, say people start to look like their dogs after a while. Maybe uh, maybe I've grown into my name. I'm not sure. But no, it's a, yeah, it's a common question. But no, that, that is me indeed. Always no, has been. No. Now, you know, I, I wanted to, for, for our listeners and, and really for myself as well, find out about what, what is erectile dysfunction? I think, you know, we, we've all heard the term, and I know from a psychological point of view what erectile uh, uh, disorder is, but it, it, it's different. You know, part of what, what, what we understand in psychology uh, is that for it to be a disorder, it needs to have a, a medical, uh, sorry, not to have a medical basis to it as where erectile dysfunction has a medical basis. So can you maybe talk mm. us through a little bit of, of, of that and maybe where there, there potentially is some overlap as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I guess the strict definition of erectile dysfunction goes something like a man's inability to either get or keep a firm enough erection to have sexual activity old-fashioned word for it was impotence but impotence has sort of negative connotations and yes. that's really historical now so so the medical definition can't get or can't keep a good enough erection it's obviously one of 
other sexual dysfunctions that occur. So men can have issues with their libido, their sex drive. They can have difficulties achieving an orgasm or premature ejaculation, and they all fall under the, the banner of sexual dysfunction. But erectile dysfunction is strictly the, if you like, the mechanics of, of the erection. And there's a number of causes, which I'll talk about in a moment, but it, it is a, a relatively common issue. Um, most people probably heard the term. Most people certainly won't talk about it. And one of the things that's come out of this uh, recent study that we'll talk about in a little while is the reluctance of people to to talk to friends, to go to a doctor about it. So um, uh, it, it is common. We think probably in Australia at any one time, there's about 3 million men who have got some degree of erectile dysfunction. So it's, it's, it's you know, it is a large medical problem, let alone in the, the mental health issues that, um, that come from it. Um, I know that there's a lot of fear of, of, of men coming yeah. forward because even in in my clinical work where you know confidentiality is 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 really the platform of being able to to, to speak openly, many clients yes. are still uh, very reluctant to talk about it, and you know we end up in 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 a conversation where. Uh, code words are used like you know mm. uh you know it kind of wasn't really working it wasn't too successful and and yeah. you know, obviously part of therapy is is to call it out and, and and just say well what do you mean it wasn't working was it that you mm. couldn't get an erection did you get an erection and then it, it it softened during you know sex was it softened before yeah. penetration yeah yeah, what was yeah. it that occurred? You, you, you do need to lead patients, don't you? Because there is this reluctance to, to use the words. And I, I think some of that, certainly in Australia, goes back to that, you know, male macho thing in Australia that, you know, we're never sick, there's nothing wrong with us, um, all of that. Uh, and, and to have a problem with your erections makes you, you know, feel less of a man. And again, the study has shown that. Um, and there's the, the whole, you know, boys change room locker locker room humor as well you know you can't get it up and you know what are you a sissy and all that sort of stuff so I think there's an almost born in Australian men reluctance to talk about this let alone other health issues I mean men aren't good at talking about all all sorts of health issues but this is a very personal one so one of the things I'd love to come out of discussions like ours is to make men aware that there are options for treatment people are happy to talk to them get professionals to talk to them and you know uh, there's help out there yeah. and what what are the sort of ways that, that that clients or patients come come to to find themselves in, in front of you you know is it does it does mm. it do you see sort of any patterns arising uh, is there a psychological thing is it after medical procedures yeah. like you know prostate yeah, sort of yeah. um uh, sure. surgeries so, what, what comes up so i'm i'm a surgeon so i'm typically treating men um, who have already spoken to a general practitioner and maybe are not treated easily by simple treatments, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little while. But if you look at men with erectile dysfunction, you can broadly divide them into two groups. That is purely psychological issues causing the problem and, and physical issues. And then within physical issues, there's common things like men that have had their prostates removed for cancer that can un that can unfortunately, that can un, oops, sorry, that can unfortunately damage the um, the nerves to the penis and and affect uh, their ability. So cancer surgery is one 
and common one, uh, diabetics to um, develop problems with erections. Men who have cardiac disease, who have narrowed cardiac arteries, that's just part of narrowing of arteries in other parts of the body. So they commonly will have erection problems as well. Indeed, erection problems can precede the on problem. For instance, if they're smokers and they have high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and they're overweight and they don't exercise, we know they're important things to, to potentially develop cardiac disease, but you'll also develop erectile dysfunction because the blood vessels to the penis will be damaged. And there are some medications, some of the recreational drugs are known to affect erection. So, so within the physical group, there's a lot of stuff, but it's predominantly diabetics, men with poor circulation, heart disease, and, and after cancer surgery. Then the other group, as I said, is, is purely psychological and Pure psychological ED, I think, is, is relatively small numbers. But nearly all men with ED, even with a physical cause, have a psychological element to their problem. Mm. So, so the, the areas cross over quite a lot. But someone with severe severe anxiety, whatever, may well have erectile dysfunction, a symptom of the primary side, certainly. So, um, so, yeah, when I see men, you know, one of the things we try and do is explain why they, I would, you know, doctor, I think it's always good to walk away with a diagnosis if possible. So we do, you know, take a history, examine them, do some various tests. So and then we end, hopefully end up with an answer as to why they've got the problem. And then that leads us on to a variety of treatments. The thing I've found over all the years I've been doing this is, is the psychological side of it, which you know, I'm a surgeon and typically surgeons aren't particularly good at chatting to people about psychological issues, but you just you find yourself learning about this and you find that you need to and it's important. And nearly all these men say something like, you know, I just don't feel so good about myself. I, I can't talk to my wife about it. Um, you know, I'm just not the man I was, all this sort of stuff. And, and when you explore that area it's it's relatively common with these men so a, a physical ailment leads to these uh, mental health issues um, and that's it's rather sad that they feel they can't discuss it and, and that they don't really know where to go for help it's really interesting because it poses that real identity question you know for for men and you know there, mm. there is that you know, men uh, are masculine, macho. You know, we we uh, do 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 much more rough and tumble in, in in play as young young persons, and you know, we we, we do gravitate more towards you know violent, uh, uh, whether it be games or or, or sports, yeah, um, dangerous activities, dangerous, and yeah, all that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And there's something mm. about you know uh, a penis that kind of says you're a man, and 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 mm. obviously it's also the function of the penis. You know, says whether you are a capable man. You know, it's not exactly. just having a penis. There's there's something yeah. uh, that 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 kind of it's symbolic yeah. in its function. I can use my my penis. I'm I'm still a strong man. So type of mm. Mm. Type of no, space. absolutely so. Yeah, and, and it's a very visible reminder of something's gone wrong too. It's you know you might have your your kidneys may not be working, but you can't see that. But when your penis isn't, it's pretty obvious. So I've often said to my patients that there must be a nerve that joins the penis directly to the brain, but I haven't yet discovered it. But I'm sure men are hardwired. Men's men's brains are hardwired to their penis. I have no doubt. And when you know when the penis isn't working, it does have these. Uh, these mental health effort, um, effects, I'm sure. 
Well, it's interesting also hearing you talk about predominantly from a medical perspective and my apologies because I'm, I'm going to um, probably say it's a little bit from a layman's person. No, uh, no, no, fine. But uh, yeah. so much is, of this is from a, from a sort of blood circulation point of view, whether it's mm. you know, mm. associated mm. with heart disease or, or mm. you know, diabetes. And I know that obviously exactly. in the psychological world, once this fight or flight, you know, that, that fear response, all of your blood you know, you don't, it definitely doesn't go to your stomach for digestion. It doesn't definitely doesn't go mm. to your penis mm. for, for procreation. Mm. It goes to exactly uh, definitely your heart, you know, your big, large muscles, your pectoral muscles, your thighs to for, for running, fighting, mm. Um, mm. you know, because you've got to survive it to be able to procreate. So it, it, it's still in, in essence kind of works in a similar, uh, well, it, it still has a similar um, underpinning, uh, but one is a medical thing where, you know, there might've been damage to a nerve or something versus one, mm, mm. you know, which is, uh, you know, or heart disease, you know, which says you can't get enough blood there for, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Psychologically is, is different. There's maybe performance anxiety, which, you know, is obviously very, the, very the common number one, mm. number one sort yeah. of uh, psychological yeah. issue there. Yeah. And, and absolutely Nish. And the way I explain the psychological aspect of it to patients is, you know, I, I, reassure them they're not mad that's that's not what i'm saying what i say is that you know life's pressures and lots of things impact on us and the brain is is a big chemical factory uh, that's essentially what happens in the brain and when you have anxiety your brain produces chemicals as you say the fight or flight chemicals and they're the things that put our heart rate up and uh, make the hairs on our own arms stand up if we're scared etc and one of the things those chemicals do, and they're sort of adrenaline-type chemicals, they close blood vessels down to the parts of the body we don't need, exactly as you said. So, you know, if you're a caveman, you know, as we were millions of years ago, and there was a, a great woolly mammoth about to attack you, you want to be able to run away. You're not so keen if you can have an erection at that stage. So, um, so if someone's anxious, their brain produces chemicals as a response to anxiety and those chemicals close blood vessels down. So it is actually psychological ED is actually has a physical basis. And then as you'd know better than I do, chronic anxiety, chronic depression, people are overproducing these brain chemicals all the time. And it becomes a, and then that has other um, somatic, you know, other body, body effects. Absolutely. How do you distinguish between the two? Because in my office, very very easy i i i'll just say you know it's best to go and see your gp to go get medically checked to see if there's an underlying yes, yes. medical reason and then i've kind of washed my hands from it right yeah. um, until they come back I and say I've got the, the um you know the the go ahead that everything's intact you know mm, this is mm, more performance mm. um you know anxiety yeah, type, type yeah, related yeah, how do you yeah. go about um uh appreciating knowing what's happening where yeah. it's potentially coming from how, how does it work mm, from the medical mm. Well, well, there's no absolute test. There is no, you know, do this blood test, whatever. It's it's a matter of talking to the patient, strangely, again, for a surgeon, but we do sometimes. <laughs> so, <no. laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's all right, a little bit of a dig at surgeons, but we're, we're fine. So in medicine, typically what you do is someone sits across the desk and you ask them about their symptoms. What are they noticing? And then you ask, you delve a bit more into those symptoms and it's, I've often said to patients, medicine is really about pattern recognition. Where's doctors learn that this, this, and this means X, and this, this, and this means Y. 
So on that context, if someone comes with erection problems, you know, I know what their age is. I know about their, the health issues, whether they're a smoker, all of that. And I can see if they're overweight and all those things. But the specific sort of things I want to know are, you know, does this happen every time? If you masturbate, can you get a good erection, but you can't when you're with a partner? Is it different with different partners? Uh, do you wake up in the morning when your bladder's full with an erection? Because our understanding is erections at any time need the same basic mechanisms to work. So if you can get an erection in one situation and you can't get it in another, it's likely to be the anxiety component and the brain chemicals. So for instance, if a man can masturbate, but when he's with a partner, he fails, I say to them, well, you explain to me why that is, you know, clearly the penis can work okay. And you get them to understand that it's the way they're thinking and that the performance anxiety is an issue. So, so that's a long-winded answer to your question, but I think it's really knowing about their medical history, which can be um, uh, a risk factor or risk factors for having blood flow problems, et cetera. But it's also asking about the erectile dysfunction and really understanding it. No point saying, oh, you know, you can't get an erection, you know, here's a prescription for a blue pill, may well help them, but you'd like to ask enough questions to understand and, and guide the patient a little bit. So um, in, in general terms, if you can't get an erection in any situation with any stimulation, masturbation, pornography, whatever, much, much more likely it's going to have a physical basis. And equally, the opposite applies if you can get good erections sometimes, but you can't in a situation where there might be anxiety. That is, your part, you, you believe your partner expects you to be Superman and you're anxious about whether your erection will work. But when you're by yourself, it works. That's clearly the pattern we see in, in psychological ED. Um, and we'll do blood tests for hormone levels, testosterone and all those things. But it's really a diagnosis that's largely made from, from history taking with the patient. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there is, uh, uh, you know, from a medical perspective, probably all age ranges can, can present to you. But what, what are the general patterns that you see? Does it, does it happen you know, uh, a little bit more in older age because the, the, the medical ailments start to, to, to show up as we age? What, what, what do you see? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we look across the Australian, probably any Western um, country population, probably there's about up to 20, maybe even 25% of all men have got some degree of ED. But if you look by age group, it's very much skewed towards older men because of the physical ailments, the, the vascular disease, poor circulation, the diabetes, etc. So again, as a very general rule, when a younger man comes in with ED, it's more likely to have a psychological basis. An older man with other illnesses, it's more likely to be physical. But you've got to be a little careful there because young men can have some physical issues. There's a... Um, it's a condition we don't understand very well where the blood doesn't stay trapped in the penis properly. So young people shouldn't have a problem getting blood into the penis because you wouldn't expect them to have vascular disease, but the blood has to stay trapped and there's a mechanism in the penis that allows that and that sometimes fails even at a young age. So you've always got to be very careful not to assume it's physical and not to assume it's psychological until you've sorted out a little and as i said earlier there's this huge overlay anyway 
but you're right, yeah, older men much more likely to be physical. And it used to be, and I think it's still a reasonable rule of thumb, that if you look at the decade the man's in, that's about the percentage of those men that will have ED. That is, at the age of 50, about or 50 to 60, 50% of men will have ED. 80 to 90, 80% of men will have ED. So it's increasingly, and the incidence increases with age. And that's not, you know, I wouldn't hold to those figures exactly, but it's not a bad way of thinking about it. If you get to 100, probably 100% of 100-year-old men have got ED. It's, it's, it's interesting. It, it, it uh, uh, really exemplifies the, the, the understanding that it's extremely common, you know, that, 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 that this is very much, you know, cardiovascular type of scenario that, that just starts showing up. Uh, you know, it's almost like mm-hmm. when people start saying as they age, and I'm not there yet, but, um, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be approaching in time. Um, you start mm-hmm. seeing my feet are cold. Um, you know, as people age, and 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 I'm assuming I, I don't know that, but I, I've heard yeah. you know that that's the joke that goes around. That's obviously a valid a valid thing, a valid experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So so you know, things unfortunately don't work as well as we get older, even if we're in very good health. Um, and that's why erections, for instance, you know, fail as we get older. But other health issues impact on it. So, you know, we see men in their 40s or 50s who can have cardiac disease or vascular disease. And as I was saying a little earlier, if they actually, if a, a man comes along at a, a relatively young age with ED, you know, late 40s, early 50s, you're always interested to see if they do have vascular disease because that has an implication for their general health. Because if they've already got vascular disease affecting the penis, they may have undiagnosed vascular disease elsewhere. Like, important stuff like coronary artery disease so um the ages are interesting as i say the younger more likely to be psychological older more likely to be physical but you've got to be very careful not to categorize people too readily without really understanding their problem sure and obviously you're 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 a surgeon so you get to see the whole spectrum everything from from you know mild intervention or or low low end intervention all the Mm. way to to the more uh, um yeah exactly can you tell us about the different ranges of of you know treatments that's Mm. you know the Mm. comp well i suppose you know the cascade in your mind about how how you kind of progress absolutely absolutely so um, most people have heard of oral medications and particularly famous Viagra, the blue pill. Um, and that's great because at least that did, when that uh, came out about 22 years ago, that actually did start some dialogue about erectile dysfunction because prior to that, no one spoke about it. How does, how does Viagra work? So you're looking at, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to that in just one sec. So the cascade, if you like, or the algorithm I would work on is, as I say, someone sits across the desk and you try and understand why they've got the problem. If possible, you might get them to address some lifestyle factors. So if they're smokers, it'd be great if they stop smoking. Uh, if their blood pressure is under, uh, out of control, their cholesterol's out of control, you know, try and address that. May not, to be honest, make a huge difference to their erections, but it's a great opportunity for doctors to look at a more holistic approach to the patient's health. So first thing we always address is lifestyle factors. And part of that is actually talking a little bit about 
performance anxiety and explaining the concept of that because all men with erection problems have performance anxiety to what degree obviously so i usually take the opportunity to talk about you know smoking exercising all the things we should we should all be doing the first i guess true intervention uh, um, are the, the the tablets the erection tablets of which viagra is the best known viagra's real name is sildenafil and there are three others on the market in australia tadalafil avanafil and bardenafil um, all with different trade names they all basically work the same. And what these drugs do is they work on a chemical in the penis to allow the blood vessels, the arteries taking the blood into the penis to open up more than they normally would. So there's a chemical in the penis that is tr trying to close blood vessels down. So when you have an erection, brain sends a message through the spinal cord, the nerves down in the pelvis that go to the penis and they make the arteries in the penis open up so more blood goes in. But while that's happening, there are chemicals in the penis trying to close the arteries down. It's a, it's a, a sort of a, a closed loop, if you like. So what Viagra and the others do is they block the chemical that's trying to close the arteries down. So the arteries therefore can open up more and open up for longer because we've blocked the drug, uh, the chemical that's trying to close the arteries down. So what that means is these tablets don't give you an erection. All they do is make your erection better. You still need the stimulation and you need all the working bits to be working for these drugs to work. So they enhance your erection. They don't give you an erection. Trouble with them is if you've got severe vascular disease, the arteries still can't open up enough. If you've got um, the blood not staying trapped in the penis, as I mentioned earlier, these drugs won't work because they're about blood getting in, not blood being trapped. If you've got really severe anxiety and you're producing a lot of brain chemicals, that's strong enough to overcome the effects of, of these medications as well. Um, and, and then the other practical issue with them is you need to take them 45 minutes or an hour before you have sex because they need to get into your bloodstream into a high enough concentration. So much as... Viagra was a great revelation and still is a very useful drug. There are some, some issues with them. A couple of the others are a little different. One, one medication, for instance, stays in your body for over 24 hours after you take it. So that means you could take a tablet in the morning and have sexual activity that night and get the benefit of the tablet you've taken in the morning without having to pre-plan. So that's quite good for spontaneity, for instance. So there's, with the medications, we tend to tailor them a little bit to what, what the man wants. My gentleman I was speaking to yesterday, um, literally he and his wife will have sex on a Saturday morning and a Sunday morning every week. That's been their long-term long pattern. So he can take one of these long-lasting Viagras, which is called Tadalafil, um, on a Friday night and it actually lasts right through to both Saturday morning and Sunday morning. You can have spontaneous sexual activity with the benefit of the tablet. So you do tailor them a little bit. And that's why they're popular, because they work for a lot of men. If we go beyond that in the algorithm, if those medications don't work, we've got treatments in terms of an injection that's given into the side of the penis by the patient themselves if they're prepared to do that and willing to learn it. So they can inject a drug into the side of the penis that will open up the arteries. That medication actually causes an erection. So Viagra 
enhances your own erection, injected drugs cause an erection. And they'll do so within about 10 minutes of having an injection. But a lot of fellas don't want to be sticking needles down there and there's a bit of risk of bruising and bleeding. But it's, um, it's a stronger medication than the oral medications and it's suitable for some men. We've then got what I guess I would call a mechanical approach. And the most common thing used is either a, a vacuum erection device or a constrictive ring around the base of the penis. So a vacuum device is a tube that goes over the penis. And when you pump the handle of it, it creates a negative pressure or suction. So it draws the penis up into an erection by suction within the plastic tube. Then you put a tight ring around the base of the penis to keep it erect and take the plastic tube off. So it gives a, a reasonable quality erection. It's not really hard. It's a bit cumbersome to use. A lot of men find they can't make it work very well. The restrictive ring gets a little uncomfortable. The penis gets a bit cold and blue looking because it doesn't have any circulation during the time you've got the, the constrictive ring around it. But there are some men that are dedicated and will use those and can perform satisfactorily. And then the fourth thing we have to offer men uh, physically is, is probably, I think, the gold standard in that it, it always works. And that is an operation to put an implant device inside the penis. And basically, the way I describe a penile implant to men is it's a bit like putting an inner tube inside your flat car tyre. If your car tyre is flat, we can put an inner tube in, we can pump the inner tube. That's where the pressure is. Because the inner tube's inside the tyre, it looks and works like a tyre. So if we take that example and transfer it to the penis, there are two cylinders in the penis that get full of blood. That's a normal erection. That blood is under pressure. If that mechanism is not working, we can put two long inner tubes, if you like, inside the natural cavities of the penis. And those inner tubes can be empty, so the penis is flaccid, or they can be filled with fluid. And that fluid sits inside the abdominal cavity, inside the belly in a, a reservoir. The fluid stays there forever. It's connected via a tube to a little pump that sits inside the patient's scrotum between his testicles. And then those tubes connect to the... Uh, sorry, those tubes connect to the... Um, the cylinders or the inner tubes in the penis. Um, so the man can feel in his scrotum, feel a little pump, squeeze on it. And as he squeezes, he transfers the fluid from the reservoir inside his belly into the inner tubes in the penis. So the penis will come up as an erection, but it's a fluid filled erection of, of uh, normal saline rather than blood. But essentially it's still a, if you like a hydraulic erection. So why I call that the gold standard is it doesn't matter whether a man's got really bad blood flow or whether his nerves have been damaged or he's got a damaged penis from trauma or whatever, it is always going to work because we replace the mechanism. Now, clearly, that's not what we do first up. But if the other oh. treatments haven't worked, and, and one of the messages I'd like to get across today is a lot of people don't know that. They go along to their doctor, they get the prescription for Viagra, it doesn't work very well. And they think, oh, that's the end of me. There's not any more I can do. And a lot of GPs don't know there's other stuff that can be done either. So one of the sort of informing the public things is to let them know that there is always something that can be done to, to fix their problem. Yeah, so and a quick, with, little, quick little synopsis. <laughs> sure, sure. And we, 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 with the penile implant, um, mm. I, I'm assuming, and I, I know nothing in, in, in this sort of space. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that the issue is purely 
uh, well, my apologies. For some people, the issue is in getting the erection, but the arousal remains the same. So that means that you're able to use this mechanism to get the erection and that therefore allow you to have penetrative sex. Uh, and the arousal is still the same as when you weren't able to to, to get this. So the, all the, I suppose, stimulus that comes from the nerve endings and the penis is still, still all intact. Mm. So Absolutely. someone's able to mm. still enjoy sex the way that they did previously. Mm. Mm. Yeah. A penile implant is purely treating erectile dysfunction that is not able to get or keep an erection. Um, and, that's and it does that very, very well. It gives you a good erection. All the other aspects of sexual activity work very well. That is, um, you know, touch, feel, warmth, sensation, orgasm, ejaculation, all of that. It's, you know, without being too blokey about it, what I say to guys is this gives you a really good stiff dick. Sure, <laughs> and that's sure. what it does. It's a great way of getting an erection. It doesn't make any of the other aspects of sexual activity better or worse. But if you want to have penetrative sex, here's a guaranteed way for it to work and you'll still have touch and warmth and orgasm, et cetera. And that's why they're a great device. But clearly, if you can get an answer with a simpler approach, you, you would do that first up. Sure, sure. And how, how often, I mean, I know you are, you're in surgery today and, and, and mm, I'm, I'm mm. assume you do lots of different surgeries, not just, uh, just, not uh, just this, no. But that's but, right. But yeah. how, how, um, how many of those would you do? I don't know if I say annually or something. I'm not sure. How yeah, sure. So, numbers. so, so interestingly, given how many men in Australia have erectile dysfunction, as we mentioned earlier, the number that come through to have a penile implant in Australia would be less than a thousand a year in the whole country. In the whole country, wow. Um, which you know, and we say we say there's like you know three million men that have got erectile dysfunction, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Um, you know, reluctance, lack of knowledge, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I do more than anyone in Australia. I do about a hundred a year myself, and then you know there's other surgeons around Australia who do smaller numbers. Um, so it's a fairly specialised area, and if you're doing a lot of them, you get good results in terms of less chance of infection and establishing a good length of the penis and lots of stuff like that. But yeah, there's, there's less than a thousand done in Australia. Interestingly, when we have a lot of men with erectile dysfunction and it goes back a bit to what I was saying, if the blue pill doesn't work, they'll, um, they'll sort of think, Oh, well, that's, that's it. There's nothing else that can, can help me, mm. which is, which is a shame because there is. <laughs> you must see, you must see a lot of um, uh, men who obviously come uh, and they get to that point where the uh, first level intervention hasn't hasn't helped, and you know we might get mm. to that point where we have a conversation around a, a penile implant, and there's still reluctance, or or, or you mm. know a, um, a reasonable choice. Someone says that it's not for me. Do you mm. still see a lot of psychological anguish? Uh, pain oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I, no, indeed. I mean. As I was saying a little bit earlier, one of the things I've come to appreciate as a surgeon talking to people about this is how much mental health um, problems develop. And that then becomes a dilemma because if you've got someone who's failed the simpler treatments, the tablets don't work or they don't want to use injections themselves or whatever, and an implant's their only option, albeit a good option, but it's their only option, some people will not take the step to have surgery. Either it's not important enough to them or they're scared or whatever. 
I mean, those, those fellas and, and those couples are left in a difficult situation because we don't really have anything to offer them and yet they've got all this um, relationship, self-esteem problems, et cetera, depression. But yeah, that's a, that's a difficult group. So I'm, I'm pretty good at explaining to people what an implant does and, and reassuring them, et cetera. So um, I think most that get to that stage will probably then proceed, which means I've heard, and that's partly why this recent study on the on the um, the mental health issues was undertaken. What I've heard from a lot of men, and I've, I've got a number of men in their 80s who have had penile implants, is something like, I feel more like a man. Now I can have an erection again, or, or words to that effect. And I know some of my fellas in their 80s, they, you know, they probably pump the thing up three times a year and they maybe don't even have sexual activity, but they'll say something like, I just feel more like I'm a man again. So it goes back to what we're saying, the penis and the brain are hardwired. And uh, so, so I find it quite reassuring. And I say to some patients, I'm practising neurological psychiatry because I'm helping their mental health problems by, by doing an operation on them. Yeah, not, not I imagine exactly, but you know what I mean. I imagine um, something similar yeah, would happen yeah. for women who, you know, for example, might have you know aggressive breast cancer and and and, and are required to to have um, breast. Um, I'm not sure what the terminology is. Uh, um, yeah, mastectomy. Mastectomy. Yeah. Uh, we didn't Mast- say mastectomy. Mastectomy. Yeah. Um, no, that's all right. No. Uh, mastectomy yeah yeah uh, thankfully we've got someone who knows what they're talking about here uh, but that, that can, would yeah, that's be right. <laughs> a very similar similar uh, scenario where uh, i imagine women would often probably feel the same as i don't feel like like very I'm a much woman. i mean i that, that, mm, that yeah, you know, I, by, I, by having my breast back i i feel more feminine mm, or feel like a woman mm, again mm, uh, yeah you know, i certainly hear that from, yeah i hear that from colleagues that do that sort of work and you know patients I've seen over the years, like female patients that have had things. I, I think that's a very true thing. It's it's an identity thing. It's it's part of me. Um, and it's why a lot of women will have breast reconstruction after breast cancer surgery, yes. Do men come in with, with their partners often or, or is it still private, private, um, um, mainly private sort of consults? How how does how yeah. do you sort of see the ratios there? It's probably about 50-50, Nesh. I, I encourage them to bring their partner in if possible, and sometimes they either don't have a partner or they have no work commitments or whatever. Do, do you see there being one apologies? Of them, yeah. Do you see there being value in having a partner oh, involved absolutely. in that process? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and um, for a whole lot of reasons. I mean, some partners think a penile implant is going to make their their man some sort of robot. It's going to feel mechanical or whatever. So it's very re- need to reassure the partners, male or female partners, that this will just be a good hard penis. Um, We can get a little bit into this relationship stuff because, again, I'm sure as you'd know, if a man has ED, one of the things his partner's going to start thinking when it's not working is, you know, doesn't he love me anymore? Is he off having an affair with someone else? Not attractive, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, again, as a doctor mainly treating male patients, I can often say to the, the female partners, well, He's actually got a problem. It's it's you know, he's he's got a medical condition, nothing to do with you. And you know, because of it, he's anxious, and as he's getting anxious, he's not working and he's worried that you, you two can't be intimate and all of this stuff. So I think there's great value in seeing the partners, not only to explain what the operation is about and what it will do, 
but to just explore that stuff that they're not prepared to talk about and, and the husband hasn't been prepared to talk about. And, and you know, the study that was done, I think um, this is this recent Australian study, something like um, 60 to 70% of men with ED had never really had any discussion with their partner about it except in very simple terms. And, and most of those were, were avoiding intimacy because things weren't working and then you have the whole relationship falls apart so it's a it, yeah it's a, it's a big problem absolutely so yeah I, I love to have partners to come along but it's it's not always the case and, um, and I usually offer my patients the opportunity to go away take some written material discuss it with their partner you know let's set up a time for a phone conversation with the partner if they can't come in for a visit etc so I think if they're in a a stable ongoing um, partnership it's nice for both partners to understand what it's about yeah. you've obviously spoken with 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 uh, a lot more men about this than than probably most psychologists if not all psychologists because you know men, men won't necessarily come come to us and i can i can you know genuinely say you know probably a handful you know let, let, let less than 10 have specifically come for that reason, so mm. it's very, 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 very low number. Um, yeah, uh, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What are the sorts of things that 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 you've seen from a pattern recognition, you know, per, per perspective, have been helpful mm. for men to to know, uh, to 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 hear about uh, their ED that that's helped them to uh, reconcile. What, what, what's happening for them? Are, are there any mm. things that have given comfort to, to, to men? Uh, like, for example, knowing that there are many men out there. or Absolutely, what, yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what sort of things um, have you noticed that have, have uh, made a difference? No, no, I understand. I think exactly that's a very important point, knowing they're not the only guy with this problem. Explaining to them how common it is, explaining that it can be related to anxiety, explaining it's because they've had diabetes, et cetera. So with all due respect to my medical colleagues, there's a lot of not explaining things to patients properly goes on, and particularly in surgery, and you know, surgeons are probably the worst group. It's about, let's make a diagnosis, let's operate on you. Um, but, you know, patients need to know. They need to know stuff. <laughs> and I the one thing that does make them feel better about is understanding why they have the problem, understanding there's lots of men, understanding that men don't talk about it. Um, you know, it'd be wonderful if, if we could get over this stupid thing about men not being able to talk to their mates if they've got a health problem. Um, you know, they want to be weak, you know, on the golf course with a mate, I'm not going to have a chat to him about the fact I can't get it up because, you know, he'll, he'll think I'm turning or, you know, well, yeah, whatever. So we need to get over that stigma somehow. So I think, yeah, one thing I find is very useful is just telling them the facts. Because, you know, you've got diabetes. Diabetes affects the blood flow to your penis and it can affect the nerves of the penis. It's nothing to do with you. It's nothing to do with your partner. You've got a medical condition. And you know what? There's you know, 800,000 other men in Australia with diabetes who have got the same problem. Uh, and, you know, these are the ways we've got to treat it. And the other reassuring thing is letting them know there are steps they can take. It's not all about the tablet. And if that doesn't work, there's no other option. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's how I'd answer that question. It's about about giving information, which is the most reassuring thing to most of these guys. And just and, and, and listening, listening to what they're saying too is the other thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
they, if you can get a nice relationship with them, then they might talk to me as a doctor, but as a surgeon, you know, sooner than they've spoken to, you know, their GP or, or anyone about it. So um, a lot of it's just listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense because, you know, as part of the diagnostic criteria, not, not that I completely, um, you know, lean, lean on that, but, you know, psychologists, sure. uh, we, we, we have one, an aspect in there which says that, that the disturbance or the ED causes marked distress uh, or internal mm. difficulty. And I'd, I'd, I'd have to believe that of those 800,000, not everyone's mm. distressed by it. And so it's not a problem. You know, yeah, medically, absolutely. they might not be able to, you know, uh, either uh, gain an erection or, or maintain an erection, but they're not distressed by it. They, they might say, oh, yeah, I am aging or, you know, this mm. is the, no, the normal process and, and you know, some acceptance around, around that as well um, can, can, mm. can potentially mm. be, be helpful. But, you know, when, when that's difficult to reconcile, it's fantastic to see that there's options out there because, mm. you know, that is, you know, uh, you know, in many ways such an important piece of quality, one's quality of life to, um, you know, to, 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 to be able to uh, extend, uh, well, not uh, to be able to feel that identity again or feel more, more manly if, if, if that's what is causing them great distress. So um, mm. I think it's mm. fantastic. No, I think I think that point about distress is very important because it probably answers some of that question about there's three million men in Australia with ED and there's only a small number that have this treatment or that treatment. And some of it, as I said, is they don't know and they don't understand or they won't approach a, a healthcare professional about it. But some of it is, yeah, look, okay, this is me. It's not working anymore. I'm, you know, my wife and I are not that interested anymore anyway or happy to have a cuddle and so, yeah, an acceptance and an understanding that the, these things happen with age, absolutely. Um, so, so that probably, again, reassures some of them. It's, some of them will come along, small number probably that come to me, but they'll come along saying, well, you know, all I wanted to check was this didn't mean I've got prostate cancer or this didn't mean I've got something else. Well, someone you can explain to them it's just a deterioration in blood flow with age, that, that's often enough for them, yeah. Now, Chris, I want to give our listeners the opportunity to to uh, be able to reach out to you, um, and I think mm. I think it's important to to also mention. Um, and I'm biased in this because I, you know, when, when I I get sick or a family member more more importantly gets sick, a loved one gets sick, I, I always look for you know specialists that I can trust and and uh, you know go to. And you know, I know from a surgery mm. point of view that the research says. Go to go to a surgeon who who does um, does the procedure regularly, and and you know what 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 I understand is you're the person therefore to go to on that basis. So, how do people sure. get in contact? Uh, obviously, you're in Melbourne, but how do they yes. get in contact yeah. uh, if they are um, you know, considering whether it's a procedure or just need some advice or or, or, mm. or, or looking mm. at that that world of ED? How can they get Absolutely. in contact uh, and and meet no. you? No. Thanks, Nish. Um, you're absolutely right. Like everything, the more you do of something, the better at it you get. I'm sure, you know, the carpenter down the road hammers a nail in straighter than I do. So, yeah, we, we all get good at what we do. Um, so, look, there's probably two two things. I, my own website, which is drlove, D-R-L-O-V-E, .com.au. We've got a lot of information there. There's videos of me talking about things, etc. So just drlove.com.au. And we've also got another page called Restore Your Love Life, all one word, um, which is, again, again, perhaps just a simpler page. It's a one page on the internet that gives a lot of detail and will lead on to my site. 
So they're both reasonable resources. Um, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff on my website that patients can look at. There's a little quiz that asks questions that diagnoses the severity of their ED, et cetera. So um, I think, you know, that, that wouldn't be worthwhile. You know, I've got to be honest and say, you know, there's lots of good GPs around that can give information. You've got to find them, unfortunately, uh, and the ones that have got time to discuss it. And there are other doctors in Australia that, that treat ED. But, um, yeah, I, I, I have the biggest practice, certainly, in the surgical end of it and, um, therefore, you know, the best results and et cetera. But just in terms of understanding ED, yeah, my website has a lot of information, both in written form and in video form. Chris, that's fantastic. And I think it's important to, to have these conversations to take the stigma away and to, to provide people with options and, 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 and therefore informed consent about what they would like to do. Because if the options aren't provided, you know, to, to me, that's, exactly. that, 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 that's, a sta- that's a sad state of affairs. So, you know, really, really thankful to have you on the show and, and to talk about a difficult topic for, for, for many or one that we tend to shy away from uh, and, and obviously to get your expertise because, you know, I, I think we need to feel like we're in, you know, a uh, good trusted hands and, and, and a knowledgeable mm. sort of source that that can give us that confidence about this choice at least, uh, whether I take mm. it or not. No, no thanks, Nish. I appreciate that. Um, I should have said with the website, I do a lot of telehealth as well. So people in other states, we can set up a time to have a chat, be it a video chat or a phone call, and that's useful. But yeah, I think the thing, the important thing about all this is letting people know there is things that can be done educating them and letting them know they have options it's up to them what they do clearly but if they don't know their options they don't understand why they've got the problem they're they're just out there and they're lost and then they get the the depression and all the other stuff we spoke about earlier so yeah we need to let people know there is help for these problems and it's a medical problem it's not a joke in the locker room it's a medical condition we need to get over that you know guys that can't get an erection it's not because they're not manly it's because they have a health problem and somehow if we can get over that stigma, that would be very important. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Thank you very much again, uh, Dr. Love. You know, we'll put it out there. <laughs> Indeed. Dr. Uh, Love. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yes, I, I genuinely appreciate it. You know, really important topic. And and uh, I'll make sure that we also get some resources from, from you and links that we'll add mm. to, to our uh, podcast so you can go onto our website uh, nationalclick.com and find out you know more or, or links to go to uh, Christopher's um, respective you know clinical website and the like. So I'll make sure that we we, we touch that so that so our, our listeners can go to that. Excellent. Okay. Thanks, Nish. Nice to meet you. Thanks, Chris. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review. Subscribe. Share it via social media. And tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.